Greetings! I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and this episode, STEM Greenhouse Podcast number 36, is going to be a solo cast, meaning it'll be me the entire time with no guest. I decided to talk about this episode's topic because I've gotten a lot of questions and requests to share trends lately, but not just trends, data-driven trends. So I reached out to my friend and industry guru, Dr. Marvin Miller, who you can hear on a couple past STEM episodes that I'll link to in the show notes, for some current data, and then added some trends I've gleaned from industry reports from the past one to two years. State of the industry articles, year-end reviews, research summaries, anecdotal stories, and more. This episode will be short and sweet, but hopefully power-packed with information to get you thinking about opportunities for your business. So get ready for a quick hitter. Port trends, data, and discussion. If you have any questions or comments, you know where to find me, bcalkins at ballhort.com, or on LinkedIn under Bill Calkins, or maybe it's WD Calkins, but either way, you'll find me. So before we get started, let's take care of Connect4 for this episode. Four key steps to conducting a successful business review. Every year presents its sets of highs and lows, and it's just as important to celebrate an achievement as it is to assess and learn from a flawed decision. Simply stated, in order to create goals and plan for the upcoming year, business owners must evaluate the past year. Small business advisor Maria Tabaka recently shared some guidelines for preparing a smart annual business review with readersofinc.com. I'm going to summarize four of them. First, Establish your goals and prepare a query list. A strategic and objective approach to your business review will make sure all key areas are covered. So prepare a list of questions ahead of time. Tabaka shares these examples. What were my achievements or our company's achievements? How did these achievements affect our company's growth? What did we learn in the past year and how did it support our progress? What were our greatest setbacks or disappointments for the year? Were strategies created and implemented to tackle any setbacks? And were there any unforeseen expenses which could be avoided next year? Next, define your metrics. This is a must for any business review. Identify what data you will need to measure your company's performance over the past year. This includes reviewing financials, but other metrics Tabaka shares include assessing new customer growth and retention, email list development, Google Analytics, and any other analytics for company websites or social media, as well as downloads of new subscribers on your own published content. The next step is to carefully review your metrics and determine what contributed to your growth, as well as best practices for further growth. Business owners and stakeholders should also try researching and pinpointing other ways of contributing to their own metrics set. Third, review your business goals for the upcoming year. So of course your objectives are gonna change with time, so assuming that your post-review goals will remain identical to those of the prior year is very unrealistic. Tabaka's advice to business owners is to identify which goals are worth keeping, which will be eliminated, and how you'll redirect your energies to realize your desired outcome. However, don't rush to eliminate valuable goals that didn't necessarily work out. Rather, seek out alternative strategies for achieving them, and always remember to consider both the long and short term when considering and defining your objectives. And don't overlook company culture and values. 
Tabaka advises business owners to take stock of both the positives and negatives in relation to the company culture by asking the following key questions. What did you do to encourage a positive company culture this past year? Were there any missed opportunities? And how can you be even more focused and effectual when supporting a positive company culture in the upcoming year? The final chip in our game of Business Review Connect 4 is to remember to follow up. Tabaka reminds us that plans are only as effective as the degree to which they're upheld. Don't forget to arrange regular meetings to ensure that your goals and strategies are not only in working order, but also are having the desired effect. And keep in mind that these tactics are not set in stone. Make changes, note your wins, and continue to celebrate them. Now, let's discuss Hort Trends with a healthy serving of data added into the mix. Okay, STEM listeners, let's start with some fantastic data. 77% of U.S. households participated in lawn and garden activities in 2017. Lawn care activities led this at 49%, flower gardening, landscaping, indoor houseplants, vegetable gardening, and container gardening made this list extremely positive this year. Flower gardening, 34%, landscaping, 34%. Indoor houseplants, 30%. Vegetable gardening, 28%. So think about that. Indoor houseplants eclipsed vegetable gardening. And container gardening held strong at 31%. Those are some fantastic numbers. That's 95 million U.S. households participating in lawn and garden activities. So using that baseline, we are in a very great position at the moment with tons of participation Uh, across multiple generations and uh, data sets. So that is great news to start with. So let's get into some of the data um, that our industry is seeing in in recent uh, research reports. And uh, I'm going to dig into that data a little bit, and then I'm going to follow up with some trends uh, to wrap up this episode. So The highest lawn and garden participation that we're seeing right now is folks between the ages of 45 and 64. Married households, including college graduates, with incomes of $75,000 or greater. So I don't think that that will come as a surprise to anybody. That's kind of the sweet spot of consumers in North America. Um, I've heard it said that your peak spending age is about 47. So when I look at this data, I'm really not that surprised. But what is really exciting is that um, some of this uh, data is showing participation from younger generations as well. So sweet spot, 45 to 64, um, a little bit more about them, uh, multi-person households. Uh, you know, it's heavily, it's actually heavily skewed towards southern markets, um, which is very interesting to look at. But I do think that, you know, it's a longer gardening season. And of course, folks who are employed um, are, uh, are a key part of this demographic. So let's keep our eyes on the 45 to 64 year olds. It's still our sweet spot. Um, when I look at uh, the, the trend curve over, um, probably over the last 10 years, uh, this, uh, the, the total dollars spent, total retail sales it, um, is, is higher now than it has been certainly in a decade, which is extremely positive as well. Um, when you look at where folks are shopping, which is always a question I get, you know, hey, where are people buying their plants? Um, where is lawn and garden uh, uh, sales being seen right now? Um, 
with all these households purchasing lawn and garden products, um, they're shopping at multiple outlets and it's very much spread. So home centers uh, uh, count for 38 million households, discount mass merchandisers 31, independent garden centers 32, hardware stores 27, supermarkets 23, feed and seed stores 11 million, uh, mail order internet 20 million. So what I'm what I see in these numbers is that uh, all segments are, are still strong. Um, independent garden centers uh, are holding strong. Mass market is holding strong, and internet uh, mail order is growing. Um, certainly uh, to the to the level of supermarkets and approaching the level of hardware stores. So average expenditures um, showing in the in the data from 2017, uh, 503 dollars per household. So that's a good chunk of change. <clears throat> you know, obviously we'd like to see that number much higher. Um, what, what categories are we hitting? Uh, 194 of those dollars in lawn care, uh, 297 in landscaping. Um, we're looking at uh, increases in flower gardening, indoor house plants, uh, container gardening. Vegetable gardening is actually uh, quite high at $84 per household participating in this activity. Uh, gardening consumers, um, this uh, $503 that we just talked about is significantly higher than it has been in the past 10 years. Um, the previous high was in 2008 at $444. Uh, another high number, 07, $428. 2013, $420. Um, all the other years since 05 and the data that, that I'm looking at um, has been right around $400. So we're up significantly at 503 which again, is awesome to see and uh, really drives home the fact that, that there's a ton of optimism um, that we should all be feeling right now and a ton of opportunity. Millennials. So I mentioned earlier that this younger age group, um, we're going to define that as 18 to 34, ranks second in participation and dollars spent uh, behind the boomers. So baby boomers, 55 and up, is the number one participation segment. Uh, millennials is second, and they're actually very far ahead of the 35 to 44-year-old uh, age group, which I find very interesting. Um, where are they spending their dollars? We're not going to be surprised with this. Vegetables, fruit trees, berries, herbs, houseplants, foliage, um, those are some of the leading categories. And uh, as, I, as I spoke with uh, Dr. Miller about in our last episode that we, that we uh, participated in together, which I'll link in the show notes, um, we're seeing a movement toward some of the anticipatory uh, product categories. So these fruit trees, vegetables, berries, herbs, this is a product that you plant and uh, with the expectation that they're gonna produce in the future, which is really cool. Um, that's good to see, it's not just decorative, but we're also seeing trends in the decorative side, the house plants and foliage. So it's actually a very good balance when you look at the millennial uh, customer. So some other uh, uh, sort of facts about millennials, they're moving into annuals and perennials. Uh, we're seeing that in the data. They're discouraged by price and sizes, which is interesting. Um, they're very much of a, uh, a value shopper. They're going to spend money, but they're looking for value for their dollars. And the sizes, you know, Dr. Miller and I discussed this in our last episode about um, maybe not seeing the value in a, a four-inch type format, but looking for either a, a smaller configuration that they can buy multiples of or a larger configuration that's going to give that instant impact. Um, they're very interested in making personal statements in their yards. And I actually think that, that that statement, there's a lot to unpack there. 
because the fact that it is in yards um, is showing us and is uh, demonstrated by the data that millennials are buying homes. So, you know, 10 years ago, if we had talked about millennials, uh, we would have said, oh, you know, we're looking at, a, you know, a, a segment of the population that's going to be moving into condos, townhouses, and maybe not buying the traditional American home. Um, but we're actually seeing now as they're getting older and starting families, um, they're definitely buying homes, which is uh, reflected in the housing market as well. Uh, we're seeing millennials interested in utilitarian gardens. So a garden uh, that's planted for a reason, whether that's, um, you know, rainwater mitigation, whether that's uh, a pollinator garden or a garden of edibles to, to feed the young family, um, you know, gardening for a reason, which I think is exciting also and something that, that we can certainly capitalize on as an industry. And then experiential gardening. Gardening is very magical. So planting uh, beds that will transform throughout different seasons, um, planting beds that are enjoyable in the evening when they come home from work and, you know, nighttime gardens. I think that the experiential gardening is something that we're hearing anecdotally from the millennial consumers and is very exciting to us. When I uh, look at some of the, the data that's been collected about uh, garden centers, so looking at um, independent garden centers primarily, um, first of all, we see you know a, a spread across uh, North America um, with the highest percentage of garden center independent garden centers being in the Midwest and in the South, um, followed pretty closely by the West, then the Northeast, and then um, and then Canada. So when I look at the data, I'm looking at um, this is very much a North American uh, spread of numbers. <clears throat> we asked, um, or the surveys asked, you know, do you grow your own plant material? 62% of independent garden centers grow their own plant material. So uh, I think that for the wholesalers looking at the independent garden center market, that's just something to remember. And maybe that leads to a conversation about what is profitable to grow your own and what is more profitable to buy in from a, a great wholesaler. And then understanding that there's also a big chunk, you know, 30 uh, 38% that are buying their own in, and uh, and that's exciting, I think, for wholesalers to see that number. Um, the vast majority of independent garden centers are family-owned at 90%. Again, that's probably not going to surprise anybody, but I do think that's a, a fun number to see, um, especially when we think about our industry as being so strong in family-owned businesses. So I looked at some data that shows what are the top five product categories um, is your garden center spending the most money on when purchasing inventory and annuals, perennials, edibles, trees, and shrubs by far leads the pack. 91% um, answered that that was the top category. So, you know, they are certainly buying in a, a heck of a lot of green, green goods, followed up by pottery and containers, bag goods, fertilizers, um, and 30% are uh, buying indoor houseplants, cactus, and succulents. Um, and I do suspect that number continues to grow. When I look at garden centers uh, wanting to pre-book plant material, which is something that keeps coming up. So for wholesalers listening right now, 33% of garden centers surveyed are buying, are pre-booking more plant material than they did the previous year. So really invest in those relationships. I did a podcast episode not too long ago about how to be the best supplier to your retail customers. I'll link to that in the show notes with tons of tips. Um, but with more and more garden centers looking to pre-book plant material, those relationships are more important now than ever. 
best-selling green good at garden centers um, in 2016 and 2017 was annuals at 32%, um, followed by shrubs and perennials, hanging baskets and edibles. So annuals still very much lead the charge. And uh, best-selling decorative item is pottery and decorative containers. So in terms of hard goods, it's the pottery, it's the decorative containers that go along with that plant. Another uh, really great trend that we're seeing right now is the transaction counts are up in garden centers, um, you know, as much as 5% in, in some areas. And a lot of this is dependent on weather. So when I look at the numbers, I do see some, some regions that were down, but those tend to be the regions that had kind of rough weather the past couple of years. So where weather was good, transaction counts are up. Um, 2%, 3%, 5%, depending by region. So foot traffic is solid. Um, and the sales are following in most of those regions, not all. So uh, we're very much a weather-driven industry. We know that. Um, but with transaction counts going up, we just really need to make sure that we're putting more in those shoppers' carts. So that's some of the data that I wanted to share um, for the first you know, 10 or so minutes of, the, of this episode. And now I'm going to dig into some of the trends and not just trends that I'm seeing, as I explained in the intro. These are trends that I've picked out of a lot of the state of the industry reports that I've read over the last couple of years, um, visits and travel, talking to folks across the industry in all different uh, capacities. Um, so these, this is very much an overview of trends um, kind of high level, but uh, certainly hopefully going to give you some direction. And, you know, as you go into your planning for the next season, maybe some, uh, some new markets to look at or at least some new ways to attack the current markets that you're involved in. So and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this the what would my customers want? So WWMCW, what would my customers want? Um, and I'm going to start with staying fresh and fun. So today's consumers desire experiences. And all you have to do is go into retailers, go online, and it's really all about that, that full uh, rounded experience from beginning to end of a shopping process. And we've talked about experiences in the past and you know some of the tactical uh, ways to create an experience. But I think from a more um, strategic perspective, it's all about standing out from the crowd. You're competing for the attention of folks that are being you know, bombarded on all sides by, uh, by information, by excitement, by all these dopamine hits that they're getting from their social media. So think in those terms. Think about the stores that have tremendous experiences. Think about the Apple store. Think about specialty supermarkets. Think about even some of the stores that are that are um, driven by organization, the closet stores, some of the, the uh, interior home organization stores that really get people excited and ready to, frankly, spend money. Um, when you deliver on that excitement and those experiences, that's what's going to drive that that customer satisfaction, that loyalty, and that repeat business. So it's not just about an experience. It's really about being fresh and fun. So take a step back and look at your store this year when uh, when when the season ends and and you know, ask some folks, maybe maybe bring in some customers and ask them, you know, are we fresh and fun? You know, what do we need to, to really drive up that uh, level of excitement in our store? What would my customers want? 
new plants. So new products are exciting. We're always um, inundated with new product advertising when it comes to retail and online shopping experiences. So this has uh, a lot to do with, with our products and our industry is driven by new plants. I've said it any number of times. So your, your job as a wholesaler or retailer is to be the cutting edge provider in terms of products and services and tell that story. You know, at every opportunity, share what's new, new plants for spring, be sure to check out what's new, plenty of exciting new plants. Um, you know, build your displays around what's new, put new signs in your store. I very rarely see new signs at garden centers um, or on, you know, you do see it on wholesale uh, plant lists. Um, but as you're moving more into a social and digital way of communicating, make sure that you're really driving home this new message. Um, Call out the product when a product or plan is new. You know, add some descriptive words around this. You know, it's it's not just oh we have a, a new, um, you know, new impatience. It's new impatience that you know stand up to to the weather. New impatience that that beat the disease. Um, really uh, uh, try to think of different messages that'll that'll pop. Um, remind your customers why certain products are right for them. You know, why should they buy that? And uh, really, most of all, have fun. Freshen up your signage. Show your customers how much fun it is to shop at your store. Um, you know, promote your leadership in this realm. You know, there are probably many stores selling products in your area, plants. Promote the fact that you have the newest. And one way to do this is to talk about the fact that you trial and test these plants. If you're a grower retailer, talk about the new plant samples that you've gotten in. If you're a wholesaler, you know, talk about the fact that you've gone to all of the local trials and really hand-selected the best new products to perform in your region or area, and then tell the masses about this. What would my customers want? A lifestyle boutique. Lifestyle is the buzzword that has replaced the word hobby. And outdoors is a lifestyle. And you see this reflected in the fact that, you know, I just I drive around town and I see stickers on everybody's car about the national park that they visited or the local, you know, the the, the local community uh, environmental um, you know messaging that, that that's being you know that's on cars that's on T-shirts. You know, outdoors is a lifestyle from outdoor activities to where people want to take their kids to zoos and botanical gardens. Remember that 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 you are participating in this outdoor lifestyle and maybe your store is a gathering place for folks that, that, that have this sense of um, passion for this outdoor lifestyle. You know, I think about stores like Cabela's or even a local bike shop or running store. Um, they're really catering to a subset of customers and providing uh, what's really a gathering place or a home for them. You know, I, I just noticed that our uh, the, the local climbing rock gym in our area has a 6 a.m. Uh, running group for guys. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. You know, they, they've identified that they have a, a customer segment of health conscious and, you know, maybe active individuals. And now they're providing a gathering place for just going out on a group run. Um, that's not selling their product, but it's really just providing that, that, that space for folks with that lifestyle. What would my customers want? Attention on kids. 
Millennials are having families, they're young families, and young families shop together. I know I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but um, that family shopping experience is certainly important as most parents are working now, and that time that they have to spend together as a family is on the weekend. So, you know, maybe they don't want to, you know, one person go out shopping here, one person, the kids go out shopping there. I suspect that they want to shop as a family. They want to participate in activities as a family. And uh, and if you have a garden center, you really have an opportunity to address this family need. So maybe it's the plants that you sell. Maybe it's promoting, you know, planting and gardening as a fun family activity. Maybe it's having events at your store. Maybe it's just creating that, that experience um, that, that's definitely welcoming and fun for families. I think that you can't go wrong by setting your store up as a fun family experience. And I've told the story many times that uh, once when my daughter was about five, I said to her, do you want to go to the zoo or do you want to go to the garden center? And it was a Saturday. And she said, I want to go to the garden center. And the reason was because it was a fun place. They had koi ponds. The owner would always walk her over and let her, you know, reach her hands into the koi pond. And they had a little scavenger hunt at the garden center that she could do. There were always bees and butterflies zipping around. So I'll never forget the fact that she chose the garden center over the zoo um, and that one experience. And I give huge kudos to that garden center for making that uh, making that kind of impression on a five-year-old's mind. What would my customers want? Philanthropy and education. So we are living in a time right now where participating in a cause, supporting philanthropy is hugely critical to a consumer shopping experience. Um, it's also going to be important if you're a wholesaler to your retail customers. So standing for something, being affiliated with a cause, and really shouting that to the rafters is, is definitely going to pay off. So, you know, where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your talent? Are you working with the local schools? Are you, you know, offering a class at the local library? Are you inviting daycare groups to your store or your greenhouse? There are a lot of different ways to participate and give back to the community. This is required for a marketing strategy these days and it's very authentic you know it's a it's a look into where your passions lie as a business and it reflects that right back to your customer base so definitely give back to your community and industry maybe there's a corporate philanthropy that you're involved in maybe you know maybe you support the local veterans in your community maybe you know in, in which case you have you know, sales and promotions, give a discount to active military or, or uh, former military. Um, maybe you find uh, all of the uh, uh, the local VFWs and offer discounts or offer to come in and give talks. You know, that's just one example of a, of a, of a group that you can really rally around. So when businesses really believe that it's not just about making a donation, it's about being active and involved with a charity, you know, maybe it's your local animal rescue. I see that quite a bit. Uh, there, there's a ton that can be gained by that. And it's a great message to your employees and your customers, whether you're wholesale or retail. So make sure that you pay close attention to philanthropy and education and understand that that's really a part of doing business these days is um, is, is showcasing uh, where you're spending your, your time and passion. What would my customers want? And they tell us this is year-round classes. 
So we're always looking to smooth out the sales curve of uh, industry that's driven by spring and summer sales. So establish a few series of classes each year. You know, maybe it's a four-part series that, that happens quarterly that really brings people into your store throughout the year. Consider all of the generations that you're catering to. You are selling to four generations of consumers right now. So maybe it's a matter of having a series of events for each one. And then educate by category. So when you look across your, your business, whether you're wholesale or retail, you know, think about the different product categories you sell. You sell flowering annuals, you sell trees and shrubs, you sell perennials, you sell vegetables, you sell succulents. There could be uh, a series of classes around each one of these that helps divide up your customers based on their interests. You know, we always see orchid classes, things like that, that are really niche and specific, but maybe it's just a series of classes on perennials series of classes on vegetable gardening. I do think that you have an opportunity to bring people into your business throughout the year by offering this kind of uh, uh, class series. What do your customers want? Consistent branding. So they might not tell you that directly. Hey, I want a consistent brand from your store, or your, your wholesale operation, but they, they look for it and it creates a much more comfortable uh, shopping experience. Again, retail or wholesale. It establishes awareness, which brings that reliability and trust. So brand is all about trust. It also creates a structure. So when you look at your corporate identity, you can break it down into your all sorts of different ways, your communication tactics, your logo, your company's behavior, the language you use, the mission you represent, the overall vision, your company culture. And it comes back to the, the design of all of these elements. And when you do create a consistent appearance or identity, you know maybe I hesitate to use the word brand so much, but it's really an identity. Uh, you're going to build awareness. You're going to drive home the trust and, uh, and, and give your customers something to look for. What do your customers want? They want your legacy. So again, I established early on through the data that 90% of our industry is family owned. There's a legacy there, and a, a legacy that that you see, you realize at Thanksgiving dinner, and maybe you appreciate a little bit throughout the year. But it's a legacy that your customers really love and really respect. Customers respect the history of a business. The legacy, maybe it's your family legacy or the business legacy, drives home authenticity. And again, that's wholesale and retail. It is synonymous with authenticity. You tell that story, bring that family element in, it's really, really amazing. And tradition differentiates you from the masses as well. So if you're a three-generation business, uh, farming business, or you know, grown, growing business, tell that story. You know, put, put a little bit about the history on your, on your staff uniform. Put some old pictures up around the store. Use it in your marketing, use it on your social media. This legacy is extremely important, and the more you embrace it, the more it's going to set you apart from your competition out there. What do your customers want? And again, they tell us this in research. Reinvestment in facilities. The shopping environment really does matter. Covered shopping really does drive sales. And one of the ideas that, that's coming to the forefront lately is smaller format stores. So I think that we all, we've all seen gigantic greenhouse operations that have opened a retail and really 
use the size of their wholesale operation to um, dominate that footprint of business. And when, when you drive into the parking lot, you're amazed. Look at these beautiful glass greenhouses, uh, tons and tons of product categories and tons of inventory. And I do think that there is there is definitely a place for that. And, you know, there's I'm a garden center guy. There's nothing I and I'm a greenhouse guy. There's nothing I love more than than approaching a store with big glass houses, tall ceilings and loaded up with with colorful product. I love it. It really, uh, really gets me going. But I do think smaller formats provide a little bit more of an intimate experience. Um, They allow you to take your retail into new areas and it's a it's a shopping environment and a shopping experience that does appeal to millennial shoppers. The boutique type stores are very popular these days. So think about maybe opening a satellite store with a smaller format. I know that's a that's a huge undertaking for a lot of you, but there's opportunities there and I just think it's something we need to consider as an industry. Which leads into expanding to new locations. So satellite stores where people are. So we've seen pop-up stores in shipping containers. We've seen, you know, I, I, I saw a picture once of an Adidas store that was inside an, an, a giant Adidas shoe box, and it, but it was really a shipping container. It was super cool. Um, pop-up stores can be seen in all sorts of different areas. I like to look at pop-up stores in airports. I like to look at pop-up stores um, in outdoor mall uh, formats, but really the the whole trick is standing out and going to where the people are so again i've said it many times that garden centers tend to be on the outskirts of town on rural route 24 because that's where the farm was and maybe today's shopper isn't driving that far or potentially today's shopper might not even have a car they might uber everywhere and getting out to your store is unrealistic so maybe looking at where People are gathering in your community and putting a small pop-up store there. Very seasonal, very uh, focused, uh, you know, a, a small subset of product. And maybe you target that millennial market with the, the edible fruits and berries, the herbs, succulents, houseplants. Maybe you're not rolling in a six benches of geraniums to this store. But what you're doing is taking a curated collection of product to where your target customer is. So I've just given a bunch of ideas uh, based on data and uh, compiled trends. Hopefully this gives you some ideas. You know, if you couple this with the uh, information I shared in Connect4 about conducting a business review and looking forward to next year, perhaps there's something to go on here. We've talked about a lot this episode, and I really just want you to remember a few key things when it's all said and done. First, we're currently seeing some of the highest lawn and garden participation numbers that we've seen in more than a decade, which means there's a ton of opportunity out there. And next is that millennials make up a gigantic percentage of this growth and the population at large, and they're into categories like fruit trees, vegetables, houseplants, decorative foliage. Also, customers desire experiences, not just a store and some products. You have to stand out from the crowd as a wholesaler delivering the absolute best product or a retailer with a fantastic consumer environment. And finally, the more well-rounded you are in terms of product mix, events, workshops, activities for families, and maybe even store formats and locations, the more exciting you're going to be and the more likely you'll be to attract a new enormous customer base. So that's my challenge to you. It's easy, right? Now, I know it's not, 
But I have full confidence in our industry to figure this all out and remain relevant in the lives of a whole new group of end customers. Go out there, grab those customers, bring them in, and wow them with how amazing your business is. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider tips for Greenhouse Pros. And special thanks for helping us reach almost 11,000 downloads. The numbers are really jumping these days and we are so grateful. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and give it a good rating on your podcast player. Or better yet, write a quick review or share it with your coworkers and peers. This will help expose more potential listeners to STEM. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. That's B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at ballhort.com. And be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And now you can follow STEM Greenhouse Podcast on Instagram. That's STEM Greenhouse Podcast, all one term, for behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, and all sorts of good stuff. Let's end this episode with a great quote from entrepreneur Jim Rohn. Successful people do what unsuccessful people are not willing to do. Don't wish it were easier. Wish you were better. <laughs>